Sundays. We celebrate the birth of the New Testament church. And uh, you may be seated. While you're being seated, I want to invite uh, Debbie, if she could, to just come and join me up here real quick. Debbie do an awesome job welcoming people to Branches Church. She does. She makes everyone feel so welcome. I, I wanted to give this to her. This is a certificate of completion. Uh, Debbie went through our Take Root Discipleship class in our last life group uh, that we went through uh, about a month ago. And uh, this is a certificate of completion. And uh, we're thankful that you're a part of Branches Church. We're glad that you're here. God. Life group has uh, started back up this week. Uh, you'll want to be there, be a part of it. Um, we are talking about prayer, prayer, specifically a habit of prayer. We're to meet the Lord daily with prayer, and I'm excited about this uh, particular uh, curriculum that we're going through. It's our own church's curriculum, and uh, talking about prayer, we're going to build a habit of daily prayer, and prayer changes things, amen? How many of us can say that we've prayed before the Lord answered, and we were surprised? How many of us were shocked? I've prayed before and been shocked, because God was just so swift to reply, and then there were other times where it seemed like I prayed and prayed and prayed, and I was the, the, the woman trying to get the king's attention, just beating on the door kept praying, kept praying, and it seemed like forever. And then when he found, finally moved, it was a swift move. And our Lord, when he decides to move, he moves swiftly. I think about uh, the temple. The king found out that the temple had been dirtied. He found the word of God and found that they had not been doing things right. So they begin to clean out the temple and they cleanse themselves. They get everything in order and prepared the place and Bible says when they had done all of that, that the Lord did a swift work. And our God will move swiftly. He'll move swiftly in your situation. That is the kind of God that he is. Amen. Let's give him a hand clap of praise one more time. Switch over to this other microphone that I prefer. And uh, our kids can be dismissed, go back to their class. They're going to have a good time back there. You want me to take you back there? Okay, why don't you go with mom? (laughs) It's great whenever your kids go through that, uh, like, particular parent attachment. It's awesome for a while. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, praise God. Welcome to Pentecost Sunday at Branches Church. We're glad that you're here. And if you're a guest here, we want you to feel welcome. We want you to feel at home. And following service, there will be a meal. We're going to have a great time of fellowship, eating a meal together. We want you to be a part of that and make plans to stay. And if you can't stay... Uh, make plans and take a plate with you because if there's one thing we know how to do, it's know how, we know how to make some food. You can't stay my size. 
and work out three days a week with my friend Jonathan and not put away some food. That's the reason I'm this big, even with his help. <laughs> Give him a hard time. Today is Pentecost Sunday, and we're celebrating, it's really a celebration of the birth of the New Testament church, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which was poured out in Acts chapter 8. A lot of people uh, don't fully understand what Pentecost is or what it means, and I'm going to kind of end my introduction to what I'm going to be preaching today, which I'm going to be preaching under this title, uh, the, the Promise that you can see and hear. The promise you can see and hear. Uh, but Pentecost simply means, Pente means 50. And Pentecost was a celebration. It was a feast celebration that celebrated the harvest. And the feast of Pentecost was started for Israel uh, while they were at the mountain of God in the wilderness. And so a little time frame was that it was 50 days from the Passover. If you remember the Passover in Egypt, God delivered them from the Egyptians uh, on that final plague with the Passover. And the Passover event that takes place in Exodus, God took the firstborn of everyone and everything that was not covered by the blood of a Passover lamb. And they were to kill a lamb. The Israelites were instructed to kill a lamb and apply the blood to the doorposts of their home. There were some other instructions. They had to be ready to go and, and have their uh, sandals on their feet and be ready to travel. Uh, but the major point was that they had to apply the blood to the doorposts and to the beam of their home. And the death angel that would come in Whenever he came into Egypt, he would see the blood applied to the beam and to the posts, and he would pass over that house and not require, not be required to execute the judgment that the Lord had placed upon the inhabitants of Egypt. And so from that point, the Passover, it was 50 days journey and time until they arrived at the mountain of God. And there at the mountain of God, God gives the Israelites a covenant and a law. And it's in those particular chapters in the book of Exodus where he gives them a promise. And the promise was this, that if they would build him a tabernacle, if they would build him a home, and if they would obey and keep his commandments, then he would uh, make them his people. And that he would dwell among them and he would be their God and they would be made his inhabitation, and he would dwell among his people. And so it was God's intention and plan, even before they left Egypt, that they would experience a Passover. They would need the blood of a lamb to be applied to their doorposts for them to be secure and delivered from Egypt. And then 50 days' journey, they would be taken to the mountain where uh, his presence dwelt at the time, and he would make a covenant with them, an agreement that he would make them his people. And then they would journey with his presence among them through the wilderness to the promised land. Now, I don't know if you noticed that that kind of sounds a little bit familiar, not just in the story, but also just simply in the type 
that's what theologically would, we would call it, is a type, a type of uh, the New Testament church and the New Testament relationship with God. Because if you think about the New Testament, it is God's intention and plan that every one of us be delivered by the blood of a lamb. That lamb was sacrificed at Calvary on the cross, and the blood is to be applied to our life. And then we're to experience the baptism of his spirit at a personal Pentecost. It's a promise for every one of us. And then we journey. We're not home yet. We're not here established. Nothing is finished, but we are to journey through the wilderness of this world until we arrive at the promised land, which is heaven, eternity for us. And I'm taking a very large theological concept and kind of breaking it down into a very simple, easy-to-see thing. But today I want to talk about that gift that God has given to every one of us who want to receive it. And that gift is salvation. Salvation is a gift from God, and it's freely bestowed upon all who will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and will be obedient to His command to experience a new birth. And I want to say today that although salvation is a spiritual thing, and it is a spiritual thing, but it's also a thing that is to be experienced. It's not meant to just be some ethereal idea of salvation in the spiritual and just never be tangible. It is both a spiritual thing, a physical thing. It is tangible. And the Lord created us with a physical body, a mind, and a soul. And whenever He does a work, He touches every one of those things. Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh, and as the Son of God, He died on a cross. He bled real human blood for our sins. It wasn't spiritual blood. It wasn't some made-up imaginary thing. It was real human blood. It was a spiritual thing that was being accomplished, but it also happened in a real physical way. It wasn't just an invisible thing. And salvation for you and I, it's, it's not to be just a spiritual thing, but it's also meant to be an experience. It is a real physical experience that each one of us should also have. Salvation involves both our spirit and our bodies. One day we will be resurrected from the dead. Or if we are still alive, our bodies will be transformed into an immortal, glorious body. God never intended for it to be just some idea or some spiritual thing, but He intended for it to be both spiritual, physical, mental, emotional, your heart, your mind, your soul, your body. It includes everything. God's plan includes the whole person. So salvation includes all of us. It includes our spirit. It includes our emotions. It includes our physical body. But there's ideas out there that are being placed that it's just a spiritual thing. It doesn't matter what you do in your body, it's just a spiritual thing. Or your emotional life, your private life can be a complete wreck, wrecked with all kind of thoughts that are not of God. That's okay because the spiritual thing has been accomplished. That's not what we see in the Word of God. If we study and we look and we take a broad picture of the Word of God, He deals with everything. He deals with the emotion. He deals with the body. He deals with our spirit. He covers every aspect of our life. 
when someone talks about belief in God or faith in God that they might tend to only think of it as something in the mind or some spiritual thing that you don't really know if it is happening to you or not. And so uh, we're encouraged to go back and say, well, when was that moment that you thought about the Lord, that you believed? A lot of people take that approach. Well, I believed on the Lord. I feel good about having a relationship with Him, raised in a Christian home maybe, and or I'm a moral and good person. I see a lot of that in philosophy today. I'm moral, they're moral, they're good people. It's not about being moral, not about being good. It's about being righteous and unrighteous. There must be some unseen, unknown work that is going on in my life if, if I'm a good person. But I'm here to say that while you cannot see God with your physical eyes and you cannot see faith with your physical eyes. Jesus did say in John chapter 3 that you can't see the wind, but you can tell where it is blowing. You can tell where it's coming from and where it is going. You can't see the wind, but you can see the trees are being bent and bowed by it. It might be invisible, but is a real tangible thing that you can experience and you can know that it's moving and that it is there. And that's just like the Holy Spirit. That's what he was saying to Nicodemus. He says, you may not see it, you can hear it and you can feel it, you sense it and you can see it bending the trees and you know that it's there, you know that it's real and you know that it's moving because you can experience it. If you think that you could stand up in 110 mile per hour hurricane winds and not feel a thing or not know what's happening. You would get blown away. If you think that you can have the Spirit of God moving in your life and experience the presence of God, have His Spirit poured into your life, but walk away don't feel like you felt anything and you didn't experience anything or you don't know what is happening whenever you experience such a great thing with God, but you don't feel the evidence and you don't experience the evidence and no one around you sees any evidence. We just said, well, it happened just because we made up our mind that it happened because we say so. Well, we'd have a very weak view of what God intends to do with our life it's a very limited perspective to say well he's God he's all-powerful he can do anything he wants but he just chooses really to do nothing no God has a tangible experience that he has promised to every one of us something that is real something that is powerful something that will change your life and your mind forever it is a gift that you can see and hear it's a gift that you can experience what do I mean by that what I mean by that is in Acts chapter 2 and this is where I'm going to spend most of my service my sermon today in Acts chapter 2 Peter is preaching and he's preaching about Jesus Christ and he's telling some hearers there that have seen what is been happening in the upper room that is now poured out into the street and he's preaching to them and he's explaining exactly what they see and in verse 33 it says uh, talking about Jesus Christ therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit he poured out this which you now see and hear 
He said he received this from the Father. What does that mean? What is he saying? We know that Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. We know that He had to humble Himself to live as you and I live. We know He had to go and die on the cross. And the apostle here is emphasizing that because he humbled himself, because he did the will that he came to do, and he died for us, when he rose from the dead, he had victory over sin and he had victory over death. It's the only thing that's going to allow us to be resurrected. Sin had to be dealt with. Death had to be dealt with. And He purchased for us our own salvation. And He now has the promise, what you see and what you hear, that's happening right now. He said this is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And He's pouring it out right here. It comes to us from the spirit realm, but it's made available to us in a physical realm. It's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that has opened up the gateway and the doorway to all of the things that God has intended for us. For us up until this point. You even go back and you read it. He says this was the thing prophesied. This is not a new promise. This is a very old promise. This thing is being fulfilled right now. So what you see and what you hear. Is that fulfillment. Of that promise. When Jesus was resurrected. And was about to send, ascend to heaven. In Luke 24. He told his disciples. You go to Jerusalem. You go and you wait there in Jerusalem and you expect, you expect the promise that is going to be given. He said, you heard from me. You've heard from me this promise. He talked about a comforter. He talked about a counselor. He talked about the one that would come in his name. The one that would be sent from his father in his name. He said, you go and you wait. He said, you're going to receive power. We see it in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 8. Again, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. He said, don't leave Jerusalem. There's a promise coming. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized baptized with water but you shall be baptized with the holy spirit not many days from now therefore when they had come together they asked him saying lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to israel and he said to them it is not for you to know times or seasons which the father has put in his own authority but you shall receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in jerusalem and all judea and samaria to the end of the earth He said, you're going to be baptized. Now, baptized is a Greek word that we really only use in church settings. It's one that we don't fully understand all of the time. We think of it as some technical Christian term or some ceremony, but what it really means is it means to be immersed. Baptism, baptized, was used in the, the industry of dyeing cloth, and they would immerse that cloth into the dye until every fiber was soaked with the dye. And Jesus was saying, I want you to go back to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait. I want you to pray until you're immersed with the Holy Spirit. I want you to pray until the Holy Spirit comes in and soaks you and covers you and has every fiber of your being. I want you to go and wait on a promise that's going to be so dramatic it's going to happen to you and when it happens there's going to be no shadow of a doubt of it happened. There won't be any question lingering after this of what I'm doing. 
There won't be any wondering of what God is doing in this day. You won't be wondering about when the time is going to change and when the season is going to change and when the kingdom is going to be established because you'll know in that moment that you have been baptized, that you have received power, and that you're to witness on my behalf. He said you're going to be immersed. It'll be like someone just takes a bucket of water and pours it all over you. You're going to get soaked in it. You're going to be drenched. In another place, Jesus said, you can't see it, but it is like the wind that comes in and it will blow you over. And I can't explain it any better than the Word of God does. It is like a deluge of water. It is like a hurricane that blows you over. You might say, well, why do you make it sound so dramatic? He said, you shall receive power. Another place he said, you shall receive the Holy Ghost and fire. Another place he breathed on them and he told them to receive the Holy Spirit. He was trying to show them an expectation that they should have. But sadly in our American Christianese world where it's so simple to live for God it has been diminished to be this thing that well it just can happen no I want to tell you it is powerful it's a promise and it's for every one of us at all times the Holy Spirit is God himself working in our lives the Spirit is likened to a burning fire. It's likened to a wind. It's likened to a deluge of water that's being poured out. It's likened to a living well coming up from inside. You can see and get the idea. We're talking about some dramatic, overwhelming, dramatic power that seizes a hold of your life. What amazes me is how some people think that they have had the Holy Spirit all their life, but they just didn't know it. You're going to know. You're going to know. There's no way to interact with an almighty, all-powerful God and not know. The Bible says that we are made a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It affects everything in your life. Everything In Acts chapter 2, when they all received the Holy Spirit, they all began to speak in new tongues. And that new tongues means new languages. It wasn't gibberish. It wasn't just dot, 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 dot. It was a language. First of all, God understood what they were speaking. Second of all, those that were present heard them and understood what they were speaking. They say, we hear them speaking in our own tongue. And they are saying the great things of God. They are magnifying God and speaking of the miraculous things of God. They understood it too. It was not just gibberish and it was not just some spiritual utterance. It was a move of God where God overwhelms the individual and moves on them so strongly that God takes control of everything. And James said, what is the hardest member of the body to control? The tongue. How many of us will agree with what James said? Yeah. Three of us. Agreed. The rest of us trying to be hidden undercover. As you know, sometimes that thought slides from here, wraps around and gets to that tongue, and you say it. And you knew you shouldn't have said it. These 120 Galilean believers 
the upper room. They start to speak in languages that visitors to the city understood. I've been in services where people who knew other languages understood what someone else speaking in tongues was saying. I've been in services and seen where people who did not know a language, they start to speak in this language and and someone starts to translate for them exactly what they're saying, talking about the miracles of God, what God is going to do. In one service in a church, someone spoke in tongues and they waited for an interpretation and none came and everyone felt pretty deflated that maybe they had missed God. There was no interpretation because Scripture does say if it's in a service, there should be an interpretation. What they didn't understand, didn't know, was that there was a foreign exchange student there from Lebanon who had asked them why they would set him up like that. To have someone speak in his language and tell him about his own sins and that he needed to repent. And it took quite some time to convince him that no one knew his language in that church and that the church had not planned anything of what happened. It was God trying to reach for him through the speaking in tongues. These people were amazed. How can these Galileans be speaking in my language? Someone who didn't understand what was being spoken said, well, this is just gibberish, or they're probably drunk. And that's what Scripture says. Those mocking said they've been drinking. They're drunk. But the Apostle Peter stood up, and he addresses these people, and he says, they're not drunk. It's not what you think. There's some confusion, but let me straighten out the confusion here. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, Acts 2, 15 through 17. He says, these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dream dreams what is it it's the promise it's the gift that you can see and hear notice he said this he said this right here that you're asking about what were they asking about they were asking about them speaking in their own tongue he said this right here this is that which was prophesied. And notice he doesn't say anything about speaking in tongues. Instead, he says, the Spirit, the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. It was such a visible, powerful thing that happened that they could see and they could hear them speaking in tongues. And they knew it was an experience that was so intense. They thought, well, these people must be drunk. They're acting foolish. They're acting different. If you remember the story of Hannah, the woman who prayed for a son, she prayed so intensely that the prophet Eli, he he thought that she was drunk in the house of the Lord. And so the Bible says that he rebuked her, that he smote her and said, what are you doing, you drunk woman? Get out of here. It was because there was such an intensity. There was such a purpose. It was an unusual act. And so he said, this woman must be drunk, but she was not drunk. Just like these believers were not drunk. Acts 2, 6-8 through tells us when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. When they heard, what did they hear? They heard them speaking in tongues. All amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, not all these who speak Galileans, and how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? 
Verse 11 says, we hear them speaking our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. Three times it says they heard them. So when Peter was preaching and said this, he was referencing that they were speaking in tongues. He was referencing what they were hearing in that moment and what they were watching happen in that very moment. And all these people speaking in tongues, he gives an explanation of what is happening. This is that. This is the prophecy. This is the promise. This is what God intended to do. This is God pouring out His Spirit on all flesh. I'm telling you, the religious world didn't invent speaking in tongues. The, the, the secular world definitely doesn't embrace speaking in tongues. Pentecostals did not invent speaking in tongues, and Pentecostals don't seek speaking in tongues. God chose speaking in tongues as a sign of a fulfillment of one of His promises. That is why Peter said, this that you see and you hear, it's what Joel prophesied about. It's what was promised. It's what the Lord said for us to come and wait on. This that you hear and see. Many people have felt the presence of God before. It's undeniable. It's undeniable. But if you want the baptism, if you want the drenching, the fire, the power, the overwhelming, overwhelming pouring out of the Holy Spirit. If you want the wind to blow in your life and you want the flood of the Spirit to come in your life, don't stop praying just because you feel something. You keep praying and you keep believing and you keep worshiping until you feel so overwhelmed that all you can do is surrender the very last member of your body and all of a sudden the Spirit of God brushes up from inside and comes out and you begin to speak in a language that you don't understand, that you've surrendered completely and wholly and totally to God. Acts 2 and 33, he said, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, having received the, from the pro- Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. And He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change his gifts. It's the gift and the promise that you can see And here, it's the thing that caught their attention. It's the thing that they wanted to know about. He says, let me explain. Jesus who ascended to heaven. Jesus who has all authority. Jesus who died on the cross for you. Jesus who was crucified, who was buried, and who was resurrected. Jesus is now pouring out the same Spirit. And this that you see and you hear, that is the fulfillment of Him fulfilling His promise of the Comforter, of the Counselor, of the wind that would blow, of the fire that would burn, of the Spirit that would be poured out. This is that. few minutes of hearing Peter preach, they were convicted. They asked, what do we need to do? In Acts 2, 37 through 39, Peter said, or they asked, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent. Repentance is just simply a turning away from sin. My life has been in sin. I'm turning away from that. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. 
you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift, the promise that you see and you hear. For the promises to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Peter is saying what you just saw, what you just asked about, what you just thought they were drunk, what these people here have just experienced, he said you can have it too. He said this is the promise. This is the promise that you can see and hear. This is the promise, the gift, that if you'll obey, you'll receive it. If you'll just repent of your sins and you'll be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you'll receive this same promise. I actually had someone say to me one time, the people who believed after Acts 2 didn't have the same experience. We know that's not true. There are too many examples in the book of Acts. Even if there weren't any examples, even if God didn't give another example in Acts chapter 8 or Acts chapter 19, if he didn't give any more examples in Scripture, it wouldn't make sense that Peter, Peter would be a liar because Peter stood there and he said, the promise is to you, to your children, to all who are afar off. How could Peter say that? if that promise wouldn't be for you and I? How could Peter proclaim that if that promise wouldn't be? I'm, I'm pretty far off removed from Jerusalem. I've never been to Jerusalem. I'd love to go. Someday I'll go. But I'm pretty far removed. But Peter said that, that promise is for even the people that are far away. Peter said, you can have the same thing. Promises for you. Same thing you just heard. Promises for you. Same thing that you just saw. Promises for you. In fact, the promise is to you. It's to your children. Some of them probably didn't even have children yet. You see, time is no barrier to God. He can go the next generation, the next generation. He did not say that it stops. He said, come get it right now. It's running out. It's going to end. He said, it's for this generation and the children, the next generation. Distance is no barrier to God. He said, all that are far off. devil tries to tell us, oh, you're too far from God. Your life is not Christian enough. Distance is no barrier for God. Peter probably had no idea. As a matter of fact, I know he had no idea of just how far off he would be talking about. Because the Spirit of the Lord had to convict and convince him to go to the house of Cornelius, Gentile. Peter probably had no idea how far that promise would go. Peter had no idea that today, Pentecost Sunday, 2019, in Swanee, Georgia, was pretty far off. But the promise that you can see and hear 
is for us today. It takes faith. It doesn't take a mountain of faith. It just takes faith and obedience and asking. You just pray, God, I want the gift. I want that promise that you can see and hear. You repent of your sins. And you ask. Amazing thing about the promise that you can see and hear is this, when someone says to me, I don't believe in God, I have to say, I have to believe in God. I've felt Him. I've had His Spirit poured out in my life. I've experienced the promises He said He would give me in this, this Word. I can't disbelieve this now. I experienced it. I have no choice but to believe. Someone says, I think speaking in tongues is just gibberish. I have to say, it may seem like gibberish to you, but it's not to me. I don't make myself do that. I don't make that up as I go along. Something happens. When I received the Holy Spirit, I started speaking in tongues, in a tongue I didn't understand. I didn't know. It's the most profound experience I ever had in my life. And I can't deny it. Someone says to me, well, that doesn't happen today. Today, The gift is not for us. I have to say you're too late. I experienced it. I already received it. What do you want me to do? Give it back? The greatest thing is this. When the devil comes to you, isn't it amazing when he comes to us? He says, that wasn't real. I'm telling you, that, that's amazing. That's the most amazing thing to me. Because whenever, whenever I'd use drugs and I'd have a, have a vision and I'd be tripping, he never once came to me and said, that's not real. When I was drunk out of my mind and hallucinating, He never came to me and encouraged me and said, well, that's not a real experience. What's amazing is completely sober, completely in my right mind, pursuing God in an altar in a church service, and the Spirit of God is poured out on my life, and I start to speak in a language that I don't know, that I've never known, that I didn't understand. I just knew it was a power beyond this realm in the world, the physical world. And I knew something was happening in my life as soon as it was, o- was over. He said, that, that wasn't real. He tried to convince me it wasn't real. When you're surrendering to sin, he's not going to try and change your mind. When you're surrendering to the things of this world, he's not going to try and change your mind. Whenever you surrender to God and God fulfills his promise, he immediately wants to tell you, that wasn't real. That was just your imagination. That was just your emotions. You got overly emotional. I may be confused about a lot of things. My wife would say that, yes, I'm confused about many things. Anybody who's dealt with me trying to get work done, you know I can forget a lot of stuff. I'm not confused about the experience 
have had with God. Why? Because it's the promise that you can see and hear. It's not just some imaginary ethereal of I just feel good, our feelings will lie and deceive us. And even as a pastor, sometimes I go to God and I say, God, I just feel a little bit removed from you right now. Would you just, would you just reaffirm your promises in my life? Give me a fresh touch of your spirit. And again, the promise that you can see and hear comes in my life. If you'll stand with me.